Amen. So glad you're here. Have a seat this morning. It's Thanksgiving week, and um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll promote our podcast here for just a moment because you'll want to you'll want to watch this week's podcast that comes out. Uh, Truett and Roseanne and I talk about family traditions and foods, and we talk about foods that people eat across the United States that are very different than what we eat here. And we actually try some of those foods on the podcast. So if you want to see me and Truett and Roseanne try to get down some Spam sushi, which they eat in Hawaii for Thanksgiving and other times, watch this week. I'm kind of getting a gag bubble just thinking about it, but... uh, Let's go on. Man, I'm excited uh, that we can all be together this week and uh, continue our series, our mini-series here called Think About It. And uh, that's not just us trying to sound Texan. It's just the way we talk, think about it. So uh, we're we're talking about how do we be thankful in all things and uh, do what God has called us to do and see him at work in our life. You know, uh, God has designed us with a fascinating ability in our minds. And that is the ability to replay the events of our life in a little mini, you know, DVR record thing up in here, yeah? And we can replay those events as though they were just happening again and not even, not just that, but we can replay it and then we can add commentary to it, right? And we do, every one of us do that. You do that. You may not have ever thought about it, but you do. You replay the events of your life and you add a line of commentary over it. So, You add commentary when you replay things that you said. Because if you're like me, and I'm sure this is true for you, you say something and later you say, that was so ridiculous. Why did I say that? Ah, that was silly. Why did I do that? I just seemed so foolish. What was I thinking? That's you adding commentary over the replay in your mind. And if you're like me, it happens more than once. You don't just do it one time. You think back over conversations. You think about the things you said and you probably think, and they probably thought I was clueless in that situation. They probably think I'm crazy. You know, all that stuff happens. Other times you might think, hey, that was pretty brilliant what I just said back there, you know? I hope they'll take that to heart, what I said, because what I said was really good. Now, what they said was something, but what I, you know, that's adding commentary over the replay to our life. We all do that. But we also do it when we, do certain things, not just what we say, but we add commentary over the things that we do. We'll do something at some point and later in the day at some point, maybe it's when you're putting your head on your pillow, maybe it's when you're driving in your car. For me, this will sound awkward, it happens in the shower a lot. I don't know why. It's that time that all stuff starts just, the tape plays and stuff goes on. And I think, why did I do that? That was so ridiculous. Ah, that was great. Why did I do that? What was I thinking? I should have known better. I hope no one was looking when I did that kind of thing, right? You know, that's adding commentary over the things that we said or did, but our mind is far more brilliant than that because we also will replay the things that someone else said to us. And here comes a commentary. This is where we're really good, right? Because we replay conversations and we replay what they said to us and we add a commentary line that says, what did they mean by that? 
what were they trying to say? I wonder if this is what they were trying to say. And then we start adding some additional commentary because we start thinking we know what they meant when they said what they did. And boy, we got a whole storyline played out now. It's not just commentary. You might as well make a seven-part movie series off of that one conversation because you got it all figured out. Hello, you know what I'm talking about? Not just what I say, what I did, not just what they said, but also the things that they did to us, whoever they is. Whoa, we replay that. And we add some commentary. Now this one can be difficult because sometimes some very painful things happen to us. And we replay those moments. And we replay it and we add some commentary to it about what we think about what they did in that moment. And we say things like, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they would be so cruel. Now maybe it was something good that happened to you and you're grateful. But when it's painful, we start adding commentary like, God, did you see that? I hope they realize what they did. And we replay, and we replay, and we replay. And the crazy thing is, is that often the commentary that we say about those moments <clears throat> becomes more important than what actually happened. Because in your commentary, you are saying some things about what happened, and that will be what you remember more than what actually was said or done. That will be what stays. This is where we give it some kind of value. This is where we decide whether it was good or bad. And this is where we start shaping our attitudes about it. This is where our hearts start getting shaped and formed about what happened. Now, let me give you an example. So <clears throat> we might think that the words that someone said were insignificant or they might think they're insignificant but to us they were very significant and here's what often happens like I mentioned we start replaying it we add our commentary to it we assume their motivation for it we start building a whole backstory for it we start having conversation in our mind about what we're going to say to them the next time we get an opportunity to talk to them, right? And then we come up with alternatives and options. Well, if they say this, I'm going to say this. And pretty soon you've got a whole, you know, multi-page script written for that next interaction, that next moment. And you think about what they're going to say. You think about what you're going to say. You think about the emotion involved. You think about the setting. And you get all set about that moment. And finally comes the day where you want to say something to them about what they said to you. And you say something to them. Say, do you realize what you said the other day to me? And they say, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? And you're like, what? Are you kidding me? I've spent the last week rethinking what you said to me. Right? That's why I can say what we think about it is often more important than what actually happens. It's so important. Now, it's for this reason that the Bible will tell us it is imperative that we take every thought captive. Because if you don't, man, those thought trains are leaving every day on destinations and they're hooking up cars and they're hauling stuff and they're forming conclusions. 
And what I need is to hear the truth and be reminded of God's grace and get his perspective on the situation. Man, that happens in marriage. That happens with me and Heather. If we don't allow truth and interaction and conversation to happen with God's perspective, it's easy for either one of us, both of us, to form conclusions and assumptions about what we thought the other person said and start down a whole line of what we think was going on in that situation. And so it is imperative that I get God's perspective. If we don't, we end up with the wrong commentary over our life. The wrong things get said about certain things that happened. And we all know from watching the news today that some people can conclude the wrong things about some events that happened. Hello? Hello? And it can happen in our own lives. It can happen and it actually causes us to call a blessing that comes into our life a curse because we've got the wrong commentary over what happened. It can actually cause us to call something that's come into our life that's not healthy, to call it healthy. That's why it's imperative that we have God's thoughts on the matter. This is exactly what happened to the man we've been following in our story named Jacob. Jacob was a man in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis who came from a family of faith. His grandfather was Abraham. Can you imagine that? You go to granddad's house for Thanksgiving and it's Abraham. Tell that story one more time, Abraham, about you and, and grandmother. I want to hear it one more time. And Abraham is given a promise from God, a covenant promise that says, I'm going to bless you and your children and their children and their children and you will be a blessing to the nations and I'm going to give you a land that will be yours for all time. That land is Israel. That land belongs to the Jews because of the promise made to Abraham. Enough about that. God gives this promise to him. But not only is Abraham in the family, Isaac is in the family. Isaac is Jacob's dad. Isaac is a man of faith. And God is keeping his promise through Abraham to Isaac and now down to Jacob. Jacob was a man who was blessed. He's in a rich family of faith. And the promise is coming down to him. And God's going to work through him. There's so many great things that God wants to do in Jacob's life. But Jacob is going to reach a moment where he's going to have the wrong commentary over his life. He's going to have an event happen and he's going to say the wrong thing about it. And it's going to derail his life for a little while. The event is that Jacob is a twin. Esau is minutes older than Jacob. And Esau gets the blessing of being the firstborn. The firstborn had a different blessing than the second and others that were born afterwards. The firstborn, when the parent died, became the head of household. The firstborn got a double portion of the blessing everyone else got. The firstborn got the father's estate. And all Jacob could see was what Esau had and what he didn't. And he started allowing a bad commentary to play over his life. 
This commentary made him angry, jealous, envious of Esau. It made him go after Esau. It made him trick Esau. It so got into him that he convinced his mom even that he should have had the blessing instead of Esau. And in his dad's last days, Jacob convinces his mom to join him in a trick to trick the dad into giving that birthright blessing to him instead of Esau. And it works. He tricks dear old dad in his last days and he gives Jacob the birthright blessing. And of course, this makes Esau angry. He's livid. He says, Jacob, I'm coming after you. This, of course, causes a family split. Jacob has to leave because Esau is after him. And the enemy is having his way at Jacob because he allowed the wrong commentary to be spoken over the events of his life. And so in this moment, Jacob is filled with some guilt, some anger, a mixture of inadequacy, insecurity, vengeance, a little bit of, I'm the victim here. I'm the one that's been done wrong. And his mom tells him, Jacob, you need to leave. Just leave. Go live with your uncle until I tell you. On the way, as we saw last week, Jacob is worn out. And Jacob hits the ground, goes to sleep. And the Bible says he pulled up a rock for a pillow that night. And during the night, he dreams. And what happens in the dream is that God gives him the right commentary for what has happened in his life. God reminds him and speaks truth to him. He has to do it in a dream because Jacob won't listen. And so he closes his eyes to what's happening around him and God speaks to him and opens his heart. And in this dream, Jacob sees this ladder between earth and heaven. He sees angels coming down and going back up this ladder. At the top of the ladder is the Lord himself who speaks to Jacob and reminds him of the promise that was made to his grandfather. And he says, Jacob, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I will keep my promise to you. You do not have to fear, Jacob. And these angels right here are proof that there is warfare going on, Jacob, for your mind, for your heart. Because you see, if the enemy could convince Jacob that this was all wrong, then the family blessing would have stopped right there. But God was in, he was after the heart of Jacob. He said, this must continue. I want to bless him. I have blessed him. So Jacob wakes up from the dream. And Jacob says, surely the Lord was in this place. You see, when you get the right commentary over your life, you'll realize that God is right there with you. But when you have the wrong commentary over your life, you'll think you are isolated, rejected, turned away, doomed, guilty, and a failure. But he gets the right commentary. And today, we're going to see what Jacob does immediately after he wakes up. What you do next when God speaks to you is important. 
So our message today is called Anoint It and Rename It. We're going to see what God calls us to do with areas in our life that have been painful, devastating, and difficult. So turn your Bible to Genesis 28. We're going to see the power of words today. Words are significant. What you call something is significant. Uh, the story is told in the Gospels of a time when Jesus was walking with the disciples and they passed by a fig tree. And Jesus says, fig tree, you're never going to bear any fruit again. And they keep on walking. They go into Jerusalem and they go in, they're there for a day and they come back out the next day and they walk by that same fig tree. The disciples say, whoa, that tree is dead. It withered from the roots. A powerful picture of what you say about something has an impact on it. What you call something will determine what happens to it. So today, we're in Genesis 28. We started in 16 to catch us from where we were last week and we move forward. It says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He said, I was talking bad commentary and God was here all along and I missed him. But he spoke and he showed me the right thing to say about my life and I see him and he was here all along and I didn't know it. Verse 17, and he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? All of a sudden, this moment changed for Jacob. This place changed for Jacob. He was in awe, he was in wonder, and he was worshiping in the place that the night before had been a desolate place. The night before, he had thought God had left him. The night before, he thought he had blown it. The night before, he was using a rock for a pillow, but now he wakes up after hearing God speak to him, and he says the right commentary. He says, God was here all along and I didn't know it. He took this commonplace and he made it a sacred space. He took this painful place and he made it into a powerful place. And whatever space you walk in, God has the ability to do that for you. You might think, well, my home is a place where there's been some pain in the past. I'm telling you, God can speak and redeem your home and make it into a sacred space. You say, well, I've got some painful spots in my past where some things have happened to me and I don't even like to go in the room where it happened again. I get it. But God can take the places of your greatest hurt and he can heal that, he can restore that, and he can make that place into a holy place instead of a hurt place. He can do that if we will allow him to speak the right commentary to us about it and if we will believe it. Hey, I'm not done believing our nation can be restored and redeemed. Amen? The day the church gives up on that is the day that fig tree will wither. It is imperative that you and I say the right thing about what is happening in our day. It's imperative that you and I say the right thing about what's happening in our families. It's imperative that you and I say the right thing about what's happening in our marriages. It's imperative that you and I say the right thing about what's going on in our own heart and mind. Don't allow the enemy to have a territory that God has already put his sights on. Amen? Let's continue on. Verse 17, it says in the second part, 
that Jacob said, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Isn't that fascinating? That just the night before, it was such a painful, desolate, empty, rejected moment. And now all of a sudden, Jacob says, this spot right here, I hadn't moved, but this spot is actually the house of God. This spot is actually the gate to heaven. I have entered into his gates with thanksgiving and he is here, right here in this spot. I didn't have to go anywhere, it's right here. God can transform whatever difficult spot you have been in and make it into a place where heaven comes to earth. It can happen if you will get God's perspective on it and believe it. And this is a place that Jacob said, God met me here. God has been good to me here. God will keep his promises here. God will work in my life here. God's going to raise up generations here. God will use me powerfully here. Verse 18, then it says, then... Jacob rose early in the morning. Mm. Jacob didn't waste any time getting busy about what God had said to him. It's an interesting little window right there between when God speaks and when we choose to act. Jesus told a parable about a sower that went out and sowed seeds. And it said, because some of that seed fell on hard ground, that the birds of the air came and took that seed away. God is speaking right now in this room. He is speaking to not just someone else. He's speaking to you, to me. And what he says, he intends for us to act on. And the longer you don't act on it, the more it sits out there for the enemy to come and begin to cast doubt in your mind about, to make you question it, to make you think, ah, it probably wasn't God, it probably is not important, and pretty soon you forget about it. Jacob said, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna act on this thing that God has said to me. He didn't let any time pass. He didn't let the enemy steal away what God had planted in his heart. He didn't want to give an opportunity for the enemy to, to steal it. It says in verse 18 in the second part that he took the stone that he had put at his head. I remember last week we talked about pillows. And I know you're intrigued by the fact that I use four pillows at night. I did last night again. My sleep was sweet. I like a good squishy pillow. I don't want a hard pillow. Jacob had to use a rock for a pillow. Can you imagine that? I can't, I can't imagine sleeping with a rock for my pillow. It makes my head hurt just thinking about it. But I know that when I got the wrong commentary going on about my life, I might as well have a rock for my pillow because I'm not sleeping. Right? I, I might as well. And that's when I think I might as well get up and do something else because I don't like a rock for a pillow. But when you have the wrong commentary over your life, your mind races, you're chasing thoughts, you're replaying situations, you're replaying bad commentary over it, 
You're saying stuff that there's no answer to. In fact, there's only more discouragement and fear and doubt and resentment and jealousy. And here we go, round and round. That's what bad commentary will do. So Jacob wakes up. He declares, this is a holy space right here. And he does something with this pillow, this rock that was the picture of his racing thoughts, his unrest, his rejection, his inadequacy, his anger at his brother, his division with his family. All of this is kind of pictured right here in this rock. It says he takes it, the last part of 18, it says he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Now, I can imagine here in the South that it'd be confusing because we say he took his pillar and he made a pillar out of it. Because we like to say pillar sometimes for pillow, but I try to be careful to say pillow. His pillow became a pillar in this moment. He took the thing that was his place of pain. He took the thing that was keeping him from having rest. He took the thing that was not at all the place he really wanted to be. He took the thing that really symbolized this moment in his life. He took it and it says that he poured oil on top of it. This was not to try to make it a softer rock to sleep on. He's pouring this oil on it for a very specific reason. Because pouring oil on on an object was a symbol of anointing it, was a way of saying this belongs to God. I'm setting this apart to show that this is from God, this is for God, and he's used it to speak into my life. And he's about to take this very common thing, a rock, in a very common place, in a very difficult spot, And he's going to anoint it with oil. That's fascinating. He's claiming his pain is a place where God has spoken to him. I know what happens because it happens for me. The thing that we don't want other people to know about, we like to keep hidden. We don't want people to know about it. We don't want people to know that we've got a broken family that we've been jealous of someone else, that we think God has somehow missed us, that we are filled with insecurity and inadequacies and things are just not going well. But those spots are the spots where God wants to work the most. The New Testament tells us that in our weaknesses, he is made. Yeah, you know, it is. And in, for the believer, it calls us to great humility to say, God, I'm gonna let you into all of my weak spots to heal me there and use that to show yourself strong. But that means you gotta be willing to say it. You got to be willing to let the Lord have it. And you, you got to be willing to be open about it.
even here, over the past four months, the stories that we've heard of people who were set free were all people who said, I'm going to, this is the last thing I want to do is let someone see into my vulnerable parts of my life, but for God's glory, I'll do it. And when it happened, every time someone sat on this stage or stood down here and told their story, every time we were all encouraged. We were all lifted up in our faith. And Jacob is going to take this rock that represented his pain and in a very visible, tangible way, he's going to change the commentary of that rock. He's not going to curse it anymore. Confounded rock, I couldn't sleep a wink all night. No, he's about to put a brand new commentary on that rock. He's about to anoint it with oil. He's about to claim it for God's glory, for God's use. We all have spots in our life that have been difficult, that have been painful, that have been the place we don't want anyone to see, the place where you've had repeated guilt, shame, racing thoughts, anxiety, stress, bitterness. And instead of letting your own thoughts run as commentary, it's time to let God have the commentary and say what he's doing with that thing and let him speak to us to hear his promises right where you are. To hear him say to you, I am with you. I love you. I will withhold no good thing from you. And I will take this thing that the enemy meant for evil. I have always intended it for good. I will turn your ashes into beauty. I will even take your heart of stone and give your heart of flesh that can know the ways of God. And so Jacob claims the spot for the glory of God. Not only did he anoint it, it says in 19 that he called the name of that place Bethel. He's going to give it a new name. This spot that he's in, this spot that he slept in, this spot that was so painful the night before, this spot where he thought he was cast off and rejected and left alone and no purpose for his life. Instead, he's going to give it a new name because what you say about a place is what gives it its worth, its identity, its strength in your life. And Jacob calls this place Bethel. Bethel. It's a word that means the house of God. And Jacob says, this spot right here is where I have heard from him. And he met me here. It's the gateway to heaven. It's where angels were working on my behalf. It's the place where the Lord was present. What's fascinating is in the Old Testament, Israel is the most mentioned city. The second most mentioned city is Bethel. In fact, 62 more times after this occurrence, it would be listed. And it would always be referred to as Bethel, the house of God. And it would always be known because this is where Jacob 
heard from God. In the place of his pain, in the place of his agony, in the place of where he couldn't sleep and God spoke to him in his dream. That is Bethel. Now, even more fascinating is what it says at the end of 19. It says, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Luz. Luz. You know what Luz means? Almond tree. That's about it. If you're hoping for something deep and profound, it's just not there. But that's what God does. He takes places that are just common, everyday, not much, and he turns them into the places that become houses of God, the place where God meets. You might think of some spots in your life. You might think of your house. You might think of your laundry room. You might think of your garage. You might think of your car. You might think of the place you work, the desk, the chair. You might think of multiple places that you've kind of cast off as, ain't nothing special happening there. And God can turn those into Bethel, the place where he meets you and speaks to you. I think more importantly, you might think of some spaces in your life where you have really walked through some pain, where you've been mistreated, where you've been hurt. And that's painful. Even more painful is the commentary that has run in your mind. For days, weeks, months, years, decades perhaps, and it has caused confusion and pain and separation and distance, family issues, soul issues, mind issues. And God is saying, I want to meet you right there. I want to speak to you right there. I want to show you my promises right there. I want to show you how much I love you right there. I want to heal that spot. So today, I have uh, brought something. Have you been wondering what this is? It's something that's been covered because that's kind of what you and I like to do sometimes with the spots in our life that are painful, awkward, difficult, and hard. So this is a big rock. A big rock. I don't know exactly what size the rock was that Jacob had for a pillow, but this kind of looks like some pillows I've had. And there's a little hollowed out space right here that maybe, you know, someone could put their head just to kind of give it some elevation during the night, but I just can't imagine for a long period of time putting my head on this rock and every night having to deal with that, much less just one night. But that's some areas in our life, some painful spots in our life, some places that we feel like we've been horribly mistreated and it has just hardened our thoughts into fixed commentary that really hasn't changed. No matter how many times you replay it, the tape is the same, the commentary is the same. And the interesting thing about memories is 
You can't make them go away. They're always going to be there. But here's what you can do. You can choose to remember a memory differently. You can see the blood applied to it. You can see a promise given about it. You can see God's hand using it. And then you forever remember that thing differently. There's some events that have happened in Heather and my life. Some very painful things. And it's been a chore to try to thank God for it. But as we have taken that sacrifice and intentionality, we've begun to see that thing, as painful as it was, was actually what God used to move us forward in faith, to move us together, and to move us into some places in our life that we would have never arrived at on our own. And one of those is standing right here today. Standing right here came through some very painful moments of where I felt, we both felt, been mistreated, hung out to dry, rejected. But God loved us, spoke to us, sent confirmation through others to us, and we heard it in his word. And so what Jacob did is what we've had to choose to do and still do. Jacob took the place that was of great pain and he said, God, you've spoken to me here about this. You've, you've shown me so much about this. You're going to use this moment. You're going to use this place, in fact. And so no longer will I think of it as a desolate, dry, empty, painful spot. God, I'm going to consecrate it to you. And, and Jacob took oil and he just poured it out as a way of anointing it and saying, God, this now belongs to you. Your spirit is here. Your presence is here. You have spoken to me about this. I will never, ever again remember this the same because this is where you have met me. This is the gate of heaven. This is where the kingdom of heaven has come to the kingdom of this world. And I will forever remember this place, not because it's Luz, but because this is Bethel. It would forever be, throughout the Old Testament, the place of worship. And I think how powerful for us if we could take the moments that have been so painful, so difficult, and say, God, would you speak to me about this? I've been running my own commentary and it hasn't gotten me very far. It's only made things worse. God, I want to hear what you have to say about those events and about my life forward and me. Because he's not finished with you yet. He has a promise for you. He has a purpose for you. Don't believe the enemy's lie that you don't batter, that you'll never be enough. He has a purpose for you. He's not finished with you yet. And his promises are sure and his purposes are holy. He will complete 
what he has begun and he calls us to trust him and believe him with that. So I'm just wondering in your mind today, could you say, God, I want to anoint in my own heart and mind that moment and call it yours. Claim it for your glory, not the enemy's. And God, I want to rename it. I don't want to refer to it as what I've always called it. I want to call it the place where you met me, a sacred place. I'm confident that if you and I would do that, that God would show up in that spot in a way that would surprise us. And the stories would forever be told in your own family and even for generations to come. This is the spot where they met God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you have done. We have not been left to try to figure it out on our own. As a gracious God, you have appeared to speak your truth and your promises over our life. And while we were in great sin, you showed us great grace. In fact, the places of our greatest sin have become the places of your greater grace. So I pray today that we would, first of all, see those moments in our life, though they've been painful, we'd see them as sacred places where you meet us. And we would allow the forgiveness, the healing, and the power of the blood to work there. We would receive all of that. And then God, because of that, we would rename that place. It would no longer be that place any longer in our mind, the thing we've called it. Now, it would be a sacred space. And we would call it that. Call it that place where you met us. I pray that would be true for us. Even this Thanksgiving week, that we would be filled with greater thanks not just for the good things, but even the painful things that you have brought our way. For there, you show yourself strong. We pray this all in Jesus' name.